for the American College of Gastroenterology. This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Phil Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the management of small intestinal bleeding with thalidomide. With us to discuss this is our Associate Editor, Philip Okafor, Senior Associate Consultant at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and we'll be discussing his summary in the December 2023 issue of Evidence-Based GI. Dr. Okafor summarized a recent RCT in the New England Journal of Medicine, which compared thalidomide versus placebo in patients who had recurrent bleeding from small intestinal AVM. So welcome back, Phil. And as always, we start by discussing why this is an important topic for our listeners. Thank you for having me. I, you know, I think it's a very relevant topic because we have you know, a number of these new novel anticoagulants and antiplatelet agents like apixaban, rivaroxaban, that are commonly used for the treatment of cardiovascular disorders like atrial fibrillation. And, you know, there's evidence showing that we're seeing more hospitalizations for GI bleeds. And in particular, bleeding from small intestinal AVMs is a challenge for clinicians, especially those of you that, those of us that take call and see patients in the hospital. And some of these patients can bleed at rates as high as 45%. I'd say that most centers that have the you know, capacity for a double balloon offer these to these patients. But oftentimes, many hospitals don't have double balloon capabilities. And, and even when you can offer a patient a double balloon, these patients are oftentimes medically unstable and so cannot tolerate the procedure. So the study is very relevant because, you know, pharmacological agents have a big role to play. I know that some of the statin analogs like obturatide are one option that act by reducing splanchnic uh, circulation and thereby reducing bleeding from AVMs. You know, and long dose obturatide is commonly used as a medical agent dosed at 10 milligrams every month for these patients that need medical management. So I think uh, the fact that there's evidence that thalidomide may have a role to play is very important. And that's my understanding as well, that we have relatively weak data from RCTs about the efficacy of octreotide. In meta-analysis, there's probably only a couple of hundred patients total that have been looked at with octreotide. And as you said, that doesn't actually prevent the formation of arteriovenous malformations. It just decreases the bleeding from AVMs because it reduces the blood flow to those capillary beds in the small intestine. So, you know, why is thalidomide a potential alternative to investigate? You know, there, that's a great question. There are studies that have shown that thalidomide has anti-angiogenic properties because angiectasias have been shown to have high levels of vascular and arterial growth factor. And we know that thalidomide has an impact in reducing levels of vascular and arterial growth factor. Theoretically, thalidomide can reduce formation of these AVMs. The problem with thalidomide, as you know, is the safety concerns uh, going back to being teratogenic and other you know adverse events that have been reported we use particularly at higher doses even up to liver failure when you get up to 200 milligrams of thalidomide so this study done by chen et al is the first well-designed 
randomized placebo-controlled trial of thalidomide for treating bleeding from small intestinal endectasia. I think the uh, you know pharmacological options to treat endectasia from this in the small bowel that bleed has the potential to be a game changer because you can theoretically and even practically reduce hospitalizations, reduce transfusion requirements, and endoscopy utilization in this group of patients. And and that would be terrific. When I take the inpatient service, even at my relatively small veterans hospital, we seem to get a couple of admissions every week for patients who have hemoglobins of five with no overt gastrointestinal bleeding, and they've already had a couple of upper endoscopies and colonoscopies because they have had these recurrent patterns of dropping their hemoglobin with no evidence of any overt GI bleeding. And then we'll do a capsule that might show a few AVMs, but at least in Michigan, there only really is only one referral center that will even accept patients in transfer for double balloon enteroscopy. So in the study by Chen and colleagues, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine back in November, what they did was look at 150 patients who had had at least four episodes of bleeding in the previous year due to small intestinal angiodysplasias, and they randomized them to receive either 100 milligrams of thalidomide orally a day, 50 milligrams of thalidomide orally a day, or placebo for four months. And then medication was stopped, and then the patients were followed for at least another 12 months after they finished that treatment period. And then the primary endpoint was kind of a, a made-up endpoint of effective response, which meant at least a 50% reduction in the number of bleeding episodes that occurred in that 12-month period after treatment was concluded. The patients who were taking 100 milligrams a day of thalidomide did the best. 69% met the endpoint and 51% of patients on 50 milligrams of thalidomide met that endpoint, whereas only 16% of patients on placebo met that endpoint of a 50% reduction in the number of bleeding episodes. I'm not really sure those are the most clinically important endpoints, though. I mean, Phil, what do you think are the key secondary endpoints from this study? I totally agree. You know, I think the secondary endpoints have more clinical relevance. They did show that hospitalizations due to recurrent bleeding was only 27% in the 100 milligram thalidomide group as compared to 35% in the 50 milligram thalidomide group. And that was much higher, up to 74% in the placebo group. So that's important to highlight. Uh, and this was observed during that one year follow-up period. They also showed that blood transfusion requirements were much lower, 18% in the 100 milligram thalidomide group, 25% in the 50 milligram thalidomide group, and 62% with the placebo group. And the other secondary outcomes, such as number of hospitalizations for bleeding, duration of stay, hemoglobin level, all followed in the same direction of improvement with thalidomide use. Those, I think, are really impressive reductions in these very difficult-to-treat patients. I think, as you mentioned before, though, the concern is that 
as you increase the dose of thalidomide, you may see more side effects. I know in this study, constipation was the most common side effect. That was in about 25% of patients on thalidomide. And that's something you could probably treat with a laxative. But limb numbness, like paresthesias, occurred in about 13 to 14% of the patients on 50 or 100 milligrams of thalidomide. And then peripheral edema also occurred in around, I believe it was 10% of patients. That certainly, you know, leads to some caution. On the other hand, these patients can be very difficult to manage and keep coming into the hospital for transfusions. So how do you think this state is going to impact your management of patients with recurrent occult GI bleeding that requires transfusion and hospitalization that it seems to be coming from small intestinal AVMs? And that's, that's a great question. I think the key point to highlight is that many centers do not offer double balloon you know, enteroscopy. So this could be an option for them. In my center, we fortunately have access to double balloon enteroscopy almost on a next day basis. So patients who are medically stable uh, tend to get balloon enteroscopy done. And sometimes we identify the corporate lesion and we treat them. It's important to also note that many times we don't identify the corporate lesion. So these patients get resuscitated, get discharged only to get readmitted. I think that for me, we don't use obturotide as much, I'll be honest. And that's partly because of just comfort of use and the fact that we have double balloon enteroscopy available. I think thalidomide may be helpful in my patients who are medically unstable for balloon enteroscopies. Because as you know, there's risk of perforation and you know complications with balloon enteroscopies. And also in those patients who we call frequent flyers who have been sculpted in the past with non-diagnostic endoscopic procedures, those patients may be candidates for thalidomide use. I have to admit in my own center, I don't have access to double balloon enteroscopy. There's only one referral center in Michigan that accepts patients for double balloon enteroscopy. So we have used more octreotide in our very sick population of veterans with a lot of cardiovascular disorders who are on, say, apixaban and other antiplatelet agents or oral anticoagulants. We'll use octreotide in those patients after their second or third hospitalization requiring transfusion. Based on this data, I'm excited to try thalidomide probably at about 50 milligrams a day. I'm just uncertain about how long I would continue it. Obviously, in this trial, they had patients use it for four months, and you'd assume with its anti-angiogenic effects, it would help resolve AVMs that it formed or prevent new ones from forming, and then probably wait until the patient had another episode over the course of the next 12 months or more. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about how you might use it if you do use it in your practice? Yeah, I think that's the tricky part, right? So there's evidence that it works, but you know, there's also some data that those patients, going back to that primary endpoint of cessation of bleeding, those patients that did not bleed in that one year follow up, you know, a certain proportion of them ended up bleeding, you know, afterwards. So there's, uh, you know, theoretically, there's evidence that, at least from this study, that there's a potential for loss of effect eventually and that some of these patients have to be retreated. So I think it's a conversation you, you have to have with the patient. I think that 50 milligram dose 
has some efficacy based on the study, lowest side effect profile. So I'm curious to see how you know clinicians end up using it. It's important to highlight though that the study did not compare the 50 milligram dose to the 100 milligram dose. It wasn't powered to do that in terms of efficacy. So that's important to highlight too. Well, we'll look to see if there is additional data about this in the future, but this is certainly a landmark study that establishes that this is certainly an option for patients with recurrent anemia due to recurrent bleeding from small intestinal AVMs. And with that, thanks very much for joining us again today, Phil. For our listeners, please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at ACG underscore EBGI, where we host tutorials every Wednesday. And look for our blast email from the ACG on December 13th with our new issue, that has Dr. Okafor's summary and goes into much greater detail about this landmark RCT. Mm-hmm.